I hadn't found my booty yet, so when my mom asked, Hey, Nancy, what's that package tucked way under there? My heart skipped a beat. It wasn't a very large box, which didn't look good to me. I ravaged the paper and revealed a 14-inch black case. A flute? You've got to be kidding me. What a wimpy instrument. There is no way I'm going to be caught dead playing that thing. I didn't blurt it out, but I was sure thinking it. Instead, I picked it up, and my mom sat there watching me stretch out my fingers, but they just didn't quite reach all the keys. What a bravura performance. She was totally convinced. Don't worry, honey. I know where Santa does his shopping, and he would want you to have a flute that fits, so we'll take it back and get you what you want. Moms are so cool. Little did she know that what I had in mind was nothing like a flute. But when we were standing at the counter of Howard's Music Store, her jaw dropped about the length of a trombone slide when I blurted out, I want a trumpet! I distinctly remember my mother grabbing for the countertop to balance herself. Trumpets were, back then, a boy toy. She's probably overcome with visions of me hooked on heroin in some Orleans dive, a bottle of Southern Comfort in one hand and my brass in the other. Bart would love that life, hmm. The sales clerk patted her on the shoulder and said, Oh, don't worry, Mrs. Cartwright. Let's just see if she can get a sound out of the mouthpiece. Chances are it won't happen. Takes quite a bit of lip to get the right sound. Well, as he handed me the mouthpiece, I blurted out a riff that would have made Louis Armstrong proud. I showed Joe Salesman who had quite a bit of lip. <laughs> Year number 10 was a big one in this girl's life. Being the only girl trumpet player in the band wasn't enough. An upcoming school-wide speech contest was announced. If you were the winner in your class, you would move on to compete against the entire grade. All I needed was to find a story, memorize it, say it for my class, and win. That didn't sound too difficult. The folks had invested in a collection of childcraft books put out by World Book Encyclopedia. I started going through it, trying to find the ideal story to tell. I couldn't decide between Casey at the bat and the three billy goats gruff. It was my mom who pulled me through the dilemma. She told me to take a look at Rudyard Kipling's How the Camel Got His Hump. She suggested it would be better since it wasn't one of the old standards. I read it, and it totally quenched my thirst. I told her, you're right, Mom. This is a story that deserves to be told. I took it on as my personal mission. I edited the story down to a solid ten-minute piece, complete with transitions. I worked on it and perfected it, practically driving the rest of the family nuts saying my lines over and over. The best part of the speech was when the camel said, Hrumph. The line wasn't particularly funny, but when I said it, I threw my head back and humphed it forward, throwing my whole body into it. He couldn't help but laugh, if only for the fact that I looked so completely silly. Competing against the members of my own class wasn't so difficult. There were only two other girls, and one of them was so nervous she threw up and was disqualified. The other one recited the poem, The Whisperer, but nobody could hear what she was saying. That's not to say that I won by default. I didn't. I just don't remember any other competitors. Being the winner for my class now meant I was pitted against the winners of all the fourth grade classes. There were four of us in that final round. I don't remember much about the kids before me. I was pretty nervous myself. I was assigned to go last, so I had to sit through all the other speeches, listening to the laughter and the applause. The entire school was in attendance. Part of me thinks that I won because I was such a petite little gal. I wasn't even four feet tall. I think I actually squeaked when I walked. But when my shining moment of hrumphing came, 
I milked it for all it was worth, and I walked away with first place. Throughout elementary, junior high, and high school, I was very active in all sorts of extracurricular activities. Captain of the gymnastics team, leading the junior class play, working in community theater, asking plenty of guys out. Now, they didn't always say yes, but I wasn't going to sit and wait for the phone to ring. No way. Working at Friendly's Ice Cream and playing the horn with the Fairmont West all-brass 200-member marching band. We touted the reputation of being one of the only all-brass bands in the state of Ohio. There were about 200 of us, like I said, which is quite a powerful sound, as you can imagine. The kids who normally played woodwind instruments in the concert band had to learn how to play a brass instrument during the football season. I thought that was remarkable, and we dragons really pulled it off. By my senior year, I was well-established as a go-getter and took particular pride in wearing the extra epaulette on my uniform that indicated I was a squad leader. My squad consisted of myself and three other horn players who relied on me to yell out the various directions our squad was to march during the halftime show program. This was a show not to miss. It's only for the fact that I actually yelled the command so loudly that you could hear me from the bleachers. David Finkham was the band director, and boy, did I give him a hard time. I had a penchant for talking, duh. And one time, immediately following the local holiday at home parade held on Labor Day, someone got my attention, so I sat my horn down right in the middle of the street to go talk to him. Big mistake. The rest of the group eventually disbanded. I headed back to the spot where we had finished off, and just as I was about to step off the curb, a truck rolled by, smashing my horn into a pancake. Ouch! Poor Mr. Fingham. I have no doubts that when I graduated, he took a long-deserved vacation. In the meantime, he had to deal with yours truly. We would get our music on Monday and our guide sheets for the formations that we were to do for the show. That afternoon, we would begin to put it all together. The hours were long, but it was never boring, especially when the squad leader, thank you very much, didn't quite know a fancy to the rear was nothing remotely similar to an about face. The high school itself was about a half a mile from the actual football stadium. Every Friday night, it was part of the ritual to meet at the school parking lot in full-dress uniform and march in formation to the stadium. We would play the school song about ten times and intersperse it with previous songs we had learned for the earlier halftime shows. This was one of the highlights of being in the band, and because all along the way, the neighbors who lived between the school and the stadium would go out on their lawns and cheer us as we marched to the game. This was at least as fun as the halftime show itself. We rocked! The drum squad kept the whole thing going, beating out the cadence that we would respond to, dun 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 dun, dun and we would answer DRF in homage to Mr. Finkham, David Robert Finkham, DRF, and this would go on and on until we reached the stadium. Shortly into my senior year, the chant changed just a bit. The cadence was still the same, but the response was amended. Dun 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 dun, dun. eat my shorts. I don't know who came up with it, and I'm not naming names, but that drum squad and a couple of troublemaking trumpet players were responsible for nearly every minute we ended up standing at attention for disrupting the entire band. Needless to say, Mr. Finkham's initials were never mentioned again, and the history of one of the most successful phrases ever to be printed on a T-shirt was established, helping to earn the powers that be a reported $3 billion. Cash Calabunga, man!
Sad but true, I was not destined to be a trumpet player, ambulant or not. My heart lay elsewhere, specifically in room 316, South Unit, Mr. Kuldow's speech class. Mr. K, as we all called him, was one of those teachers who you never forget. He was one of those teachers who you wish your children would be taught by because he cared so much. A lot of the other teachers would roll their eyes when Mr. K would go cantering down the hall. I believe they wished their students adored them as much as we adored Mr. K. He was the one who inspired me to take this unique-sounding voice and put it to some use. I quickly immersed myself in speech. I just loved it. Forensics had two programs. One was public speaking, and in particular, debate. I was not a debater. I left that to the future attorneys and politicians. The other aspect was individual events. We'd prepare speeches in a number of categories, including humorous and dramatic interpretation, expository, prose, poetry, and dramatic duo. I was a kid in a candy shop. From Shakespeare to Neil Simon, I was exposed to some of the best literature we have. Mr. K recommended Many Moons, a children's story by James Thurber. It still is one of my favorites. I worked on this story, cutting it into a 10-minute presentation. We never had to memorize, although I always did, because in telling the story in competition, I always wanted to look at the audience, connect with them. That was the key, something that I still believe today. It's all about connecting. In a tournament, you'd be assigned to a round with about four to five others in the same category. There might have been a total of 30 people competing in any one category. You'd do three preliminary rounds, a semifinal round, and then a final round. You would be judged on delivery, creativity, and choice of material. It was a terrific confidence builder and also an activity that the parents supported wholeheartedly. No equipment to buy, no uniform to hate, and no physical to suffer through. It was an ideal extracurricular sport. We were a unified group, we were, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday.